Hello and welcome to Critical to Your Success. Thanks for joining me. I am your host, Rachel Park. I'm a critical care nurse, academic and researcher from Auckland, New Zealand. This is the podcast where I talk to critical care nurses, allied healthcare team members and academics about what has been critical to their success. I do hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. As the Christmas season is almost upon us, I would just like to take this opportunity to say a huge thank you to you all for your continued listening and engagement with the podcast. In particular to my wonderful guests who have put up with me chatting to them, but have also provided incredible insights into their lives. I do hope you all have a very Merry Christmas, whatever you may be doing, working or holidaying. Hopefully everyone will find some peaceful time to just rest and be still. Our lives are so full and so busy that often the best thing we can do is just be still for a while. I would also like to wish you all the best for whatever 2020 brings you, a chance for new adventures in all areas of our lives. So onwards, this is episode number 10, recorded in November 2019, and today I talk with Nicola Jenny. Nick is the nurse unit manager in the Paediatric Intensive Care Unit, or PICU, at Starship Children's Hospital here in Auckland, New Zealand. Nick has had a passion for ECMO since being a part of the first ECMO nursing training program back in 1995 and has coordinated the ECMO program here in New Zealand since 1998. She completed her Master of Nursing in 2005 with a focus on ECMO. She is also a commander of the Order of St John, an elected chapter member and volunteer paramedic with St John Ambulance. She's also travelled to Palestine as a volunteer on cardiac surgical missions over the last 17 years. Nick is passionate about empowering her staff to be the best they can be, to provide not only the best care to the children and families in their care, but also in developing her staff to develop and grow themselves. In this episode, Nick and I talk about her journey from new graduate in the ICU to nurse unit manager of the importance of putting the child and family first and how this could be applied in an adult ICU, strategies for maintaining open communication when your staff is so large and diverse, succession planning, the role of and challenges faced by the nurse unit manager, differences between managing and leading, and why you must be prepared to stand up and fight for your staff. So grab a cuppa or something more festive, Sit back and enjoy the interview with Nick Jenny. Nick, I thought we'd start with where you've come into this job from and how you got into intensive care nursing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your career to now? Sure. Um... I got into intensive care by luck more than anything. Um, I, when I graduated, it was at a time where there weren't an awful lot of jobs around. Um, and at the time, there was a bit of a staff shortage in intensive care at Green Lane, which mm. was a combined adult and paediatric cardiothoracic intensive care. And so they actually went out to the schools of nursing and asked for um, recommendations of a couple of people 
to, that would be suitable to come into the ICU as a new graduate. And you got recommended. And I was, yes, Judy <laughs> Kilpatrick recommended me, which I've always been thankful for. And so I went along for an uh, interview um, and was successful in gaining a post, myself and one other um, new graduate at the time as well. And so we started into the intensive care. It was um, predominantly permanent night shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, eight-hour duties. Um, worked out in the end of four weeks of nights and two weeks of days as a bit of a rotation. Mm. So I started there in 1993. Um, and I was lucky to progress through into a clinical charge nurse position, uh, beginning of 98. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2003, we had the Health Services Development Plan, which um, moved the Green Lane site across to the Auckland site and split the adult and the paediatrics. Mm-hmm. And that was a real, that was a really tough time, actually. Yeah. It was really hard trying to decide which way to go. Yeah. I loved both. I loved the fact that we did both. I felt at the time that we did both well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the thing that made me go to peds... Um, was a, in part around leadership opportunities. Mm. Be careful what I say there. Um, <laughs> we could always cut that yeah, out. Yeah, cut that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. yeah. Um, and about new clinical challenges. Mm. Um, and the peds, I'd always, always really enjoyed the paediatric cardiac aspect because it was very variable as opposed to the adult, which was a little more routine as far as the types of surgery. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so bringing the general paediatrics in was going to offer a whole new... Um, area to focus on and which is what sort of scared some of us off the whole move into paediatrics yeah, yeah absolutely and I think for me I didn't have children so there wasn't that factor yeah. of associating you know a trauma patient or something with my child on a bed mm. so I had mm. that little bit of emotional removal which for some people probably would have been harder yeah. um, I've never regretted the move yeah um, I mean it was hard the first year was really hard yeah. I came into it as a clinical charge nurse we had Two clinical charge nurses that came from the original PICU, two that came from um, Green Lane, and one that was an outsider that came from the UK. And the first year was really hard. Um, I tried to be really strict about towing the party line that we are a new PICU, we're not the old PICU, we're not the old Green Lane. Mm -hmm. And so the first year, the people from Green Lane didn't really trust me because I wouldn't gossip or divulge information to them. And the people from... Um, the Starship Pick who didn't know me. Mm. So mm. that first year was a really, really lonely year. But in actual fact, in retrospect, it was probably the best thing from a leadership perspective because you didn't form alliances. Yeah. You did yeah. travel the straight and narrow. Yeah. And it made it easier, I think, to be seen as being fair mm. to both sides. Mm. And I guess it was tough too because you were... Um, because we migrated from the Green Lane site to the Auckland site, you were coming into Starship territory. Um, yeah. It wasn't as though both units were combining on a completely new site mm. either, was it? Absolutely. It, it was, it was try, they tried to sell it that this was a new PICU, but it wasn't. Mm. You know, it, it was a takeover by Starship, yeah. <laughs> let's face it. You know, we were coming onto their territory. Yes, it was physically a new unit, but mm. within the same hospital the people here in Piku knew Starship, they knew the policies, the procedures, yeah. you know, we tried to meld the policies of two different units, but it was two very different cultures, mm. very mm. different. And although we'd sort of worked a little bit, um, you know, on each other's sites before that, yep. trying to prepare for the move, 
Um, nothing can really prepare you for right. it, can it? No. Yeah. And, and I think, in retrospect, there is nothing that could have been d- done differently yeah. that would have actually made it any better or worse, to be honest. Mm. I was going to ask that, yeah. actually, in terms yeah. of, you know, if people were faced with that now, <laughs> yeah. if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? Or Yeah, I'm not sure we you? would do a lot differently. It was about trying to integrate the two sides beforehand mm. by going backwards and forwards to each other's units so we got to know each other socially to we tried to get working parties from both sides together to come up with common po- policies and protocols mm. but there's things you don't think about until yeah. you're in the moment yeah got any good um, examples <laughs> I just I just remember one of the first patients being admitted an acute patient and something as simple as setting up the transducer setup yeah you know over a certain weight, we used to use the pressure bags. Yeah. Under a certain weight, we didn't. And there was this bickering at the bed space over which way to do it for the yeah. patient that was 31 kilos coming in. <laughs> yeah. And it was unnecessary, but was, everyone wanted to hold their ground and wanted to be mm. right. Mm. Um, so it took a bit of time yeah. for things to shake out and settle. Yeah. And those that weren't happy and were never going to settle eventually left, and that's not a bad thing mm. because otherwise it's destructive. Yeah. And then after that time, the making of the unit is the people that come in without the history. Mm. Mm. And you yeah. find that, don't yep. you? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So 16 yeah. years on, yeah. Yeah. which is hard to believe that we've been oh, here it's that long. scary, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that was 2003 we mm. migra- um, merged together. Um, we were led at the time by a nurse unit manager who came from Canada. Mm. Um, and she was here for three years. And then she moved on and I took over from her in 2006. Mm. So yeah. Nick's been the nurse unit manager in PICU since then. Yeah. And enjoying the job still? Yeah, absolutely. It's always a challenge. Yeah. It's always changing. Um, when I first took over the job, we had around about, I think remember it was about 48 or 49 full-time equivalents. And how many And now? we're up to 125 now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're about to go up again in the new year. Um, so we've gone from, we started with 16 beds, but not all of those were commissioned, mm-hmm. to now 22 beds, and we're about to increase by another 8 to 10 beds in the next 12 to 18 months, because yeah. we're just outgrowing it. So tell us a little bit about Starship itself, and yep. its relationship, you know, in terms of um, the other hospitals in New Zealand, and also PICU, and what sorts of patients you see here. Yeah. So Starship is the National Children's Hospital in New Zealand. Um, We are the only paediatric intensive care in the country. So in theory, if a child's admitted to another regional ICU and they're likely to need ICU for more than 48 hours or anything more complex, they will refer to us. Mm -hmm. And we have a um, retrieval team, medical nursing retrieval team, which will go down and retrieve them and bring them back. Starship itself has around about 170 beds. Um, It is a quaternary service. Mm So um, most of those complex needs children come to Starship. As a PICU, we're slightly different to the rest of Starship, so probably 65 to 70% of our workload comes from outside Auckland DHB, whereas mm-hmm. the wards, the majority of it comes from within Auckland DHB. Okay. So that does change the way we work with our families slightly because we're working mm-hmm. with families that have come from out of town. Mm-hmm. They're often being uprooted. Um, from their families, from their support network, um, acutely in the middle of the night. And so really a lot of what we work with is the family rather than the child. Yeah. 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 As far as what we do, so we do all specialties with the exception of burns. Okay. And burns is done over at Middlemore, which is the National Burn Mm Centre. Otherwise we do every other 
um, service here. 40 to 45 percent of our workload is post congenital cardiac surgery, mm -hmm. um, and the other 65 percent is a mixture of anything and everything. Yeah, it used to be seasonal. Mm. It's not so much now. Yeah. Um, winter kind of carries on forever. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, many years November has been traditionally our busiest month of the year. Um, and we do see little peaks. We know when the weather's getting better because kids start falling off scooters and yeah. out of trees. <laughs> um, <laughs> Different we, types of injuries. Yeah, yeah, and we know public holidays when the road toll, you know, goes up a bit and we get more yeah. road trauma. Yeah. Um, but it's a real mixture of everything. Yeah. yeah. And what sort of length of stay on average? So average length of stay is between two and a half and three and a half days. Mm -hmm. We get the short-term ones who might be, say, like an asthmatic that's come through ED mm -hmm. that might be here for 12 to 24 hours. Or we have some long-term patients. And our demographic has definitely changed in the last few years. Um, in the past, children going home uh, ventilator-dependent wasn't mm -hmm. an option in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And now it has become an option. So if a child gets admitted, um, they're usually in an acute phase of some sort of illness. Yeah. It's then established that they've got some chronic underlying condition. They then have to be assessed as to whether or not they're suitable mm. for long-term ventilation. Um, they then have to get well enough. The family needs to be trained. Um, funding, depending upon which DHB they come under. Um, caregivers sort, because they need to have a caregiver mm. package. They've always got to have two trained, ventilator-competent people within 24 hours a day and getting caregivers in the community is challenging. So mm. they can be with us for nine months, up to two years even, before they get home. Mm. And so that fills a bed space yeah, yeah. and has an impact on flow as well. Yeah. Yeah. And also on the actual culture of a place, mm. from a high mm. turnover acute to more chronic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that brings challenges when you're recruiting people. Yeah. Because ICU naturally attracts people who like drama. Well, I was going to ask that. So in terms of staffing, what attracts staff to come and work here and what keeps them here? Yeah. I think um, in some ways we're lucky because we're a captive market. Mm. If you're coming from overseas and you're a paediatric intensive care nurse, yeah. where's the place, place to come? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, we do lose a few who aren't interested in working in Auckland. Yeah. You know, cost of living and you understand that. Um, but we do attract those that have that paediatric focus mm. um, specifically um, and so in many ways that makes it fairly easy to recruit yeah. um, with our increased FTE for example in the last two months we've just recruited 20 FTE wow um, and so, so all coming on board at the same time or no, staggered. periods of time staggered yeah. um, because when they're coming from overseas depending on where they're coming from it can take time to get visas and the visa guidelines have just changed um, and practicing certificates and that kind of thing. So yeah. at the moment we've got um, some coming from Australia, a couple coming from the States, which is less common, um, another coming from the UK, mm. um, and then we've got our previous staff returning from overseas. Mm. Mm. We're quite lucky, we get a lot of staff, you know, particularly our new graduates who come in, do their sort of three to five years, go and travel, yeah. and then come back again. Yeah. which is really nice yeah. it's, and to me that kind of um, is a positive reflection of the mm. unit that they're happy to come back to the environment definitely and, and that's always a challenge the more staff you get the more personalities you've got <laughs> and therefore people aren't always going to get in on all the time yep. and I think in times of stress people don't necessarily always engage in conversation mm. the way they should do mm. um, so you know Everyone has their bad days, but I think overall, if the culture is such that people are happy to come back, 
then um, that's got to be a good reflection. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Just um, listening to a helicopter take off outside, yeah. so uh, things are a little bit noisy at the moment, but that's all good. Yeah. So in terms of the staff from overseas, are they mainly, you know, registered sick children nurses or general nurses? Who it's a real mix. Interest? We used to, a few years ago, we got uh, mostly sick children's nurses. Mm. That's changed with time. We get, um, we've probably taken more in the last year of people that come with paediatric but no ICU. Or right. people that come with ICU but no paediatric. Yeah. Um, so it's a real mix at the moment. Mm. Although the lot that we've got coming in in the next little while are all coming with really good, strong experience, and that's a balance because mm. we took a whole lot. We took a whole lot of the um, competency assessment program mm -hmm. um, students, so overseas students, yeah. um, in in a, a large bulk. We took about fourteen or fifteen, and they've all been good, but they're all progressing at the same stage so they all yeah. have the same educational needs and the same patient acuity needs mm. at the same time and that becomes a bit of a challenge mm. Mm. so it's nice to be able to stagger a mixture between experienced and unexperienced yeah. Yeah. and so you have some quite distinct um, patient groups who come through so in terms of the cardiac surgical patients and your more general or trauma type patients do people tend to look after one or the other or do they go across all patient groups they they do go across all patient groups. Um, we, I was going to say don't allow, that sounds very rigid, but you have to be able to care for any patient yep. because we don't know what the mix is going to be at the time. Mm. But obviously we have people that have a preference. Yep. And we've got people, you know, we've still got a good handful of people that came from the Green Lane days of cardiac, paediatric. Um, and so they do tend to look after those patients. And we are building more of a core group to look after our single ventricle cardiac children because right. their care is so specialised. Yeah. And research shows that actually the outcomes are better by a core group of trained nurses and doctors rather mm. than a mixed mash of mm. different um, mm. staff all the time because some of their needs are quite acute and quite specialised. Yeah, and yeah. I guess too in terms of communication with families and the children themselves... Yep. Being able to, you know, have that more in-depth knowledge is, yep, you know, absolutely. hugely vital as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, staff, when they start, do tend to go on a bit of a progression. Um, we certainly don't limit staff um, on timelines. You know, it's mm. no, you have to have been here this period of time before yeah. you can do this. It's if you can demonstrate you've got the skill, then mm. you do it. But the progression, if you don't come from an ICU or paediatric background, is the tendency to have those HDU-type patients initially. Mm -hmm. And then move to the stable ventilated um, of the general population and then move to the cardiac last of all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned new graduates. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking before, I mentioned, um, we discussed it in the interview with Natalie Anderson previously, um, but also you came to ICU at Green Lane or ICR yep. as it was in yep. those days as a new grad. How was that for you? Um. I guess when you don't know any different, you think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had always wanted ICU. I yeah. never wanted to be a ward nurse. I was quite clear about that from the beginning, yeah. and I got lucky, and obviously someone thought I had the skills to do it. <laughs> um, I got a four-week orientation. Nice. Um, and it, <laughs> It's know, not long, is it? It's not, but I know there's a real balance between, you know, some people would orientate forever. Mm. if given the chance, will never feel confident enough to mm. do the job. And it's a balance between providing too little and too much yeah. and getting it right. And so we really try to individualise it for people mm. and recognise that some people are going to need an orientation slightly longer than others. 
Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we'll try and push people's boundaries within a safe and supportive environment mm. um, for that reason. Um, so how many new graduates would you take into Piku um, now? So we try to take four each intake, so four mm-hmm. in February and four in September. Yeah. Yeah, and that works out well because they tend to take start their um, post-grad paper around about five months after they start. Right. Um, so we take them in at full time, mm-hmm. and that means that gives them five months of working full time to consolidate their learning, get comfortable in the area, mm-hmm. and then they drop their FTE to 0.9 when they start the paper. Right. Just to give them a bit more breathing space. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, support them through that process. Yeah. So their initial orientation is 12 weeks. Yep. Um, it's very structured um, as far as uh, all of our orientation, regardless of whether your new grad is structured. Um, and they've got a week-by-week guide as to what they're trying to achieve and what mm. the expectations are. And once again, if we need to extend that a bit, we'll extend it because we need it to work for them and work for us. Mm. There's no point in throwing them in the deep end and watching them drown. Yeah. yeah. And do you think it works well, like, you know, people staying on after the orientation? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I keep a record of uh, our new grads. We've been taking them um, since 2005. And... Um, the majority of them that have, well, all of them that have left have gone overseas mm. or to have children and have come back. Yeah, and we've amazing. got a large number that are still here. Yeah. Or else they've moved on to senior nursing roles. Yeah. Which is really nice to see that progression. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And I think that's something we'll come back and talk about is, you know, that whole growing yep. of your staff and, and how you identify that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you about just before we do move on, and one of the things that is unique for PICU is also the provision of ECMO um, services for New Zealand for paediatric patients. Yep. So do you want to talk a little bit about how the ECMO program works in New Zealand because you were quite instrumental? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so ECMO was also one of those things that started at Green Lane yeah. um, when we were the combined unit. So we did the neonatal paediatric and adult regardless of what the underlying pathophys was. Mm. And then when we moved across to the Auckland site, we had to split Um there's not enough ECMO in New Zealand to warrant two separate teams. Yeah. And um, it didn't make sense to split that expertise. So we made that decision from the move that we would still continue with one team across two units. And we still do that now. Mm. So when we train, we train a combination of paediatric and adult nurses who care for the circuits either in the cardiovascular intensive care for adults or in PICU for neonates and paediatrics. Mm. And it's not about needing to know about paediatrics or knowing about adults because you're caring for the circuit mm. more than the patient, patient. per se. Yeah. Um, if you're going to the un- your non-home-based unit, then you will have an experienced staff mm. nurse caring for the patient that can guide you on that patient side of things. Mm. And that's important because we do have um, a significant number of our nurses who are sick child nurses, mm. so they are not allowed to care for any adults on their anyway. practice certificate. Yeah. Um, so we can fudge that slightly because they're caring for the circus, circus. And not, yeah. not the yeah. um, not the patient. But we've seen the demographics of ECMO change over the years. Mm. It used to be predominantly neonatal yeah. and very little adults. Absolutely, and, yeah. and now it's really flicked yeah. um, over until this year actually we've had a really mm. significant run for us this year and we've pretty much for the last three months almost we've had two on mm. the whole way through which yeah. for us is unusual to have. And a mix of VV and VA. VA. Yeah. 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 
Oh, no, and it's good. I think it's really good. It helps to build a bit of relationship between the two units because mm. the two units had so much commonality, mm. um, not only um, staffing-wise, but physically. The units are set out the same mm. way. The equipment's the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, when we first moved, we had consultants that worked in both units still. Yes. <laughs> and over time, that changes. Mm. Um, but I think it's really good to help build those relationships as well. Mm, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So... Um, in terms of ECMO numbers within the PICU, so this yep. year? Um, it's quite variable. This year, I think we're sitting around about 14 or 15 for mm. the year. That is quite um, number, As opposed it? to the adults, yeah. which is obviously is a lot lot higher. Yeah. 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 Different patient yeah. demographic. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what is the role of a nurse unit manager? Some, and an ICU. Some, some days I wonder. <laughs> what does your job description <laughs> say you should be doing? Signing off people's timesheets, you mean? Yeah. 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 Um, I think for me, the I've always had a little bit of a beef about the, the word manager. Yeah. I For me, I believe there's clear differences between a manager and a leader. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to be a leader and not a yeah. manager. Yeah. Um, and that's really important. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think anyone can manage with direction and education. I think leadership, there has to be a degree of innate ability Mm. that can be harnessed or supported. And I think um, it's about empowering your staff to be the best they can be Mm. and to be able to provide the best care. Because everything we do, we need to keep that patient and their family at the centre of everything. Um, you know, and when we're having squabbles over little things, it's like remembering actually there is mm. a child and their family at the centre of all of this. Mm. So for me, it's about trying to be able to provide leadership, direction, vision and empowerment to my clinical charge nurses, my other senior nurses to then do the same and role model that to the staff mm. nurses. Because, you know, with 160 odd nurses now, I can't be that for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve along the way. I was always somebody that liked to be liked. <laughs> you know, I didn't like to rock the boat, don't like confrontation. Yeah. And I learnt the hard way and yeah. quickly that actually as long as I'm being fair, that's mm-hmm. all that counts. Mm-hmm. And there's times when people aren't going to make my, like my decisions. Yeah. And that doesn't concern me anymore. As long as I'm being fair in my decisions, mm-hmm. that in actual fact I think that's what people respect. Yeah, and if they can understand why the decision's been made that way. Exactly, exactly, and I try to have an open-door policy to allow people to come and challenge and ask questions. I Mm. don't want to be so far removed from the clinical environment that people feel they can't ask me, although I don't understand what it's like at the bedside because, you know, we've seen that reflected in the past Mm. in different places, and um, having someone that's clinically credible and understands what it's like at the coalface mm. is actually really important. Well, it's often a charge that is levelled at anyone who kind of steps out of the clinical space, yep. isn't it, very quickly, that yep. you don't understand what it's like or yep. you can't see what the challenges are or what I'm going yep. through. Um, do you spend yep. time working clinically still? I do, not mm. not as much as I would like yeah. to. Um, I certainly always tried to do two per roster, one clinical at the bedside and one mm. as charge. Yep. Um, the agreement that we've always had, though, is that we've got too many staff and someone's like to be redeployed, therefore we'd go back into my little office so that prevented that. And so I've I run into a few times where that's been the case, so I haven't yeah. been able to. But you don't lose it. You're slower. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think without, about things. Without a doubt, you're slower. Um, but that doesn't mean you're not competent still. No. You know, no. and at the end of the day, when it's when the shit hits the fan out there, mm. you can't sit in your office and hide. You've got to be able to go out there. You've got to yeah. be able to support staff. You've got to be able to show them that you can help them as well and that you understand what the pressures are like mm. for them. Mm. Yeah. And I guess not even just out in the clinical space, but when you're having conversations in the office too yeah. um, with whatever is yeah. happening for yeah. the individual person, you know, if you can yeah. understand what is happening, then it's mm. a lot easier and, you mm. know, provides a little bit more background. And, yeah. 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 Maybe you should just, you know, if people are going to be redeployed, maybe you could redeploy them into your office and they could do your job for the day. Absolutely. And... They'd be welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> do you have, um, so you've got a team of clinical charge nurses. Yeah. Do they help you with the management and leadership sort of side and how do you work together as a team? Absolutely. Um, I strongly believe in um delegation yeah <laughs> <laughs> and not because i don't want to do the job <laughs> not just because of procrastination yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah or laziness yeah no i mean i think it's really important to um to get that balance between allowing people to do stuff and learn stuff mm. um versus not doing it all yourself you know mm. like you've got to be able to allow people to be able to learn in a supportive environment and so i try not to get in, too involved in the day-to-day um, staffing, for example, like mm. I trust my clinical charge nurses. I trust their clinical judgment. That's why they're in the job. Exactly. So if they're cancelling a case or they're looking for staff, I might ask a couple of questions because I know I'm going to be asked them. Mm. So I need to be able to answer them. But if they've said we can't do something, then we can't do it. And I trust their judgment. And yeah. micromanaging and looking over their shoulder is not going to build relationships. Yeah. 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 It's important, isn't yeah. it, for them to feel that you do trust them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and also otherwise they're going to rely on finding me every moment of the day and night mm. because they can't make a decision themselves. Mm. And they're not always going to get it right. I'm not always going to get it right. Yeah. But that's how you learn. Yeah. yeah. And it's having those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As long as you're safe and you can justify your decision making. Mm. You know, I've also always been a strong supporter of ask for forgiveness rather than permission for stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> goes a long way to turn around after yeah, absolutely yeah <laughs> and that's just at work yeah uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you talked about empowering people um yeah. how do you do that in practice um i think you need to you need to understand people as individuals as well mm-hmm. um i think trying to get to know people a little bit and what makes them tick mm-hmm. you know everybody brings stuff to work sometimes yeah. You can't help that. And knowing what's going on for somebody, you can help support them. I think um, you need to stay relevant. Mm. You need to know what's happening um, clinically, socially. You need to be flexible. Mm. Um, you need to be open to feedback. Yeah, You're not always going to like what you hear, <laughs> but you need to be open to it. Because if you're not, and if you're defensive, that's not going to build relationships. Um, you need to be innovative. Mm-hmm. And encouraging people to be innovative. Yeah. Um, most ideas aren't stupid ideas. There's always the odd one. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I think you need to be clear on your expectations. Mm. Um, because then people can be held accountable. I can be held accountable. Yeah. Um, and it makes it easier and clearer for people to know where they're going and what they're trying to achieve mm. than moving goalposts. Um, I think... The nature of a paediatric environment is, is so strongly child and family focused mm-hmm. that everything we do, we do keep the family 
mm. at the forefront. And, you know, our family aren't visitors. No. They're part of the package. They're yeah, extension part of, the of the team. Yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And I think um, that changes nurses' thinking mm. and the way in which they approach things. Yeah, it's a really interesting it's, observation, yeah. isn't it? It's, I thought when we were at Green Lane, I thought we looked after kids well. Mm. And I hate to admit <laughs> that we didn't. Is that because uh, that was like, you know, 13 years ago? Or oh, is it just because combination. we didn't know any I think, better? I think it's a combination. Or? It was what we had available at the time mm. in those days. Mm. I think we didn't know any differently. I think we were driven on an adult model. Mm. And, and you see that now. You see, you know, like how many, um, how many families in an adult ICU are invited to wash mm. their family member, if it's their husband or their wife? to be part of the handover discussions, mm. to be part of the care, to be told what's going on. Anywhere with an adult. I mean, you know, 18 months ago I went through this with my mother and mm. she wasn't competent to understand information or make decisions, but I couldn't get anyone yeah. for love and all money to actually talk to me because I wasn't the patient. Mm. And that's crazy. It should be family-centred regardless of whether it's an adult or a child. Mm. Well, I was going to ask, were there lessons from the paediatric environment that we can take yep. into the adult environment? Absolutely. So, yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, if patients' families aren't supported and aren't mentally in a space to cope, mm. then they're never going to cope with their family member when they come home or out of hospital. True. You know, I struggled. I was the only caregiver for my mother, no other family. Nobody checked in if I was okay. Mm. I wasn't. I was falling apart. Yeah. Um, you know, and if somebody had taken five minutes to check to see if I was okay, mm. that would have made such a difference for me. Yeah. Um, Do you so, think because you're a nurse, <laughs> yeah. they didn't? Like, is that a bad thing to ask? Or did they just kind of assume that because you had all this background, all this yeah. knowledge, education, that you would know what to do and would be I don't okay. think so. I mean, I looked a wreck every day. You know, I cried every single day, yeah. you know. It was and, a tough time. And when I first went into this particular ward, I had a form that I had to fill in that gave background to my mother and what had happened, and there was a big block about what is the impact that this illness has had on you and your family. Mm. Nobody read it. Yeah. Well, why have it there if you're not yeah. actually going to action it? Um, and it is it is those little things. Mm. It's not the life saving stuff. It's the little stuff, the little yeah. check ins. How are you going? Yeah. And actually, genuinely meaning it, sitting down and taking the time, not just a passing mm. comment. Mm. And that's yeah, that's that's person focus. That's not pediatric or adult. No. That's no, just about exactly. caring. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes it's so easy in our environment. This is routine for us. Mm. We do this every day, and we forget sometimes that actually this isn't routine for the person yeah. in the bed or the family. Far from it. Exactly. And how can we remember that? Mm. How can we highlight yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, daily? you don't you don't wish anyone to have to go through it. No. But in some ways, it's yeah. it's good. Um, I think we try and use story and narrative a lot mm-hmm. rather than. Um, you know, this incident occurred, you didn't give this medication or this person got a pressure area, but actually involve the person and mm. make it a story about this person and humanise it. Right. Because as soon as you humanise something, you know, it tugs at the heartstrings a bit more and yeah. it makes it a little bit more um, important to focus mm. on. Mm. Yeah. Is there um, a lot of feedback from families that, you know, can be f- taken back to staff to tell them, what the experience is like for families and children. Yeah, so we survey um, 
random number of um, families every month mm-hmm. um, to look at the care and to offer feedback on a variety of different things. So we've got a scale, a form that they fill in. Yeah. Um, it can be anonymous or they can put their name on it if they want to that mm-hmm. assesses our care. You know, did, did we welcome them? Did we allow them to be able to have a break? Did we explain the medications? Um, did we involve them in the care? Mm. A whole variety of things like that. And so that's available every month to the staff. There's a folder in the tea room as part of our metrics. It's one oh, of our cool. measures yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, we are lucky, touch wood. Um, we probably get maybe two complaints a year. Mm. Which is quite phenomenal. It's when. Really so how low. many patients would yeah. you have through a year? So we actually around about 1,200. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so, yeah. Keep it that yeah. way. Yeah, hopefully. No pressure. That's the plan, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, and do families come back after they've yes. left? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's really nice because we see them at their worst possible state. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's so nice to see a child come back that you think is going to have a poor outcome. Yeah. To see, and that's the nice thing about kids, they so often do back, bounce back far better than you would expect. Mm. And particularly, say, a traumatic brain injury if you've got a trauma patient, mm. and then they come back, and it's fantastic. Yeah. And we get some that come back every year. On yeah. the anniversary of the accident or the discharge or that kind of thing, they come back to say hello. Amazing. And that's great. Like, that's the, yeah. the biggest reward you could ever have. Um, is seeing that and even those that have a bad outcome yeah um, you know some of the patients the families of patients that have died mm. keep in regular contact with us yeah and that's really nice as well and for a number yeah. of years yep yeah 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 that's amazing yeah. and I think for some you know it's providing a bit of support and reassurance for them mm. Um, mm. and it's important that we make a death a good death mm. yeah yeah how does that happen? Um, we've got a really good supportive environment for staff supporting families that die. Right. And a very strong bereavement team. Mm. So we've got the follow-up side, I guess, working backwards, that will follow up with the family of every child that's died to look at um, two sides. One, do they have any questions about actually what happened? Yeah. Because, um, you know, you go away and you think about things and it comes up with mm. questions or mm. there's unclear reasoning behind it. So there's that opportunity to be able to meet with clinicians to actually talk through what actually happened and could anything be done differently mm. and what would the family like to see, what information do they need. They get followed up at the six-week mark and they get followed up at the yearly mark as well. Right. Um, and so that offers feedback into the care that we provide. Mm. Um, at the actual time, we're very honest about what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. Um, there's no time pressure, yep. so it's when families are ready. Um, parents, families can stay in with the child before mm. um, we withdraw treatment, if that's the way it's going to go, which is a majority of them. Mm. Um, and so they can spend as much time as they want to. We do things like handprints and casts of the hand and feet. Mm. Um you know, they can have whoever they want in with them. Mm. You know, if it's a if it's a baby, they might want them baptised or christened. or So it's really about trying to find out what the needs of the family mm. are and doing the best to meet the needs of the family. Yeah. 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 Do you have, um, you know, a special room that you can take the child into with their family or... We do have a possible. room. <laughs> um, yeah, we do actually have a room, but funny enough, it's never been used. Interesting. The family actually prefer... To do something like that in the clinical environment. Yeah. You know, and 99% of the time they're in a single room, so mm. they've got the room to themselves, and use the other room as their time out. Yeah. 
which is really interesting because yeah. we we put into that room um you know air and oxygen and suction so that we could actually put a bed in there mm. and actually do it there but they've always chosen to do it mm. in the clinical bed space yeah yeah that's amazing yeah. and and because probably the majority of our children are not coroner's cases mm. um then families take them home with them yeah yeah, you know, it's a bit easier than with an adult. It's hard to fold an adult into mm. a car and take them home. But yeah, we've done it. It's, yeah, yeah, it does happen. But yeah, in the back of a van on a mattress. Yeah. Um, but you know, in a in a carry cot or a slightly older child, you can mm. carry them, and that's really important. So that might be something that's a little bit um, yeah unique to yep. New Zealand. So do you want yep. to talk about that? Because we have um, you know, there's people who listen to this from around the world. Yep. <laughs> um, so just. Tell us a little bit about what we do sometimes with patients who die and, and transporting them home and why. Yeah. So I think um, you, you, yeah, you always presume that what you do is what everybody does. Yeah. You stop and think about it. I know. You know. Particularly with the large number of staff we get from overseas that come along and look sideways at us about you know, what taking children home. And yeah. for many families, it is about having the child home in their home environment. Mm. Um, so other family members, friends, whatever, can come and actually see the child and say their goodbyes and mm. so many families will take them directly home um, there's no legal requirements as to how somebody has to be transported home um, I guess just bearing in mind like carrying a package in a car that's movable um, you just want to ensure that it's not a, a missile Mm, mm. Um, so children in bassinets or that sort mm. of thing but there's no requirement to be in a car seat or anything else mm. like that as you'd normally um, transport a live child mm. um, so many families choose to do that um, and they'll be at home and then call a um, funeral director from mm. there um, to continue the process but yeah it's a mm. big part of New Zealand culture that I guess we've always just taken for granted that yeah. actually is what happens yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. you sort of don't think about not doing yeah. it really if, no. that, if that's what the family wants absolutely absolutely and yeah. and often you know when you, a child's been in hospital anyone's been in hospital really they're hardly at their best mm. um, and often after death particularly some of the children that have really struggled mm. They look more peaceful, yeah. and it's more yeah. reassuring for the family to be able to spend that time in their home environment. Mm. Yeah, and I guess for some children, um, you know, they might have spent the majority of their lives, if, especially if it's a short life, absolutely in hospital, yeah. and possibly never yeah. even been home. Yeah, so. particularly some of our cardiac. Yeah, yeah, they could yeah. could have been in for a number of months and never actually ever been home since mm. birth. So it's so. kind of the only opportunity that mum and dad yep. get to take them home. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. very special. Yeah. Yep. Um, the other question too I was going to ask was do you involve families in resuscitation episodes um, so involve from the point of view that they, they can be present yeah, yeah not yeah. doing yeah, maybe not doing yeah, compressions yeah. but yeah, no, um, absolutely yeah, so yeah. there's there's very few procedures that we would ask a family to leave for mm-hmm. and really the only thing would be surgical procedures like um, a cardiac that um, is having a chest closure mm. and we'll get the surgical team into the unit they don't go to theatre for that they get that done in the unit yep. and so we'd ask a family to leave for that but other than that family can be present mm. pretty much for anything else Yeah. Um, we just I guess the criteria is to ensure that there has to be a staff member available mm. to be with them to mm. talk them through what's Support happening them. absolutely yeah. yeah. it's hard enough sometimes for a staff member that's come in from another room participating in a recess to actually 
understand what happened, how it happened and why mm. without a poor family member that doesn't actually have any medical knowledge or yeah. watching their child go through that. So that's really important that we're able to be able to have someone to talk them through what's happening and why. Mm. And, um, you know, in the times that has happened, for example, during a resuscitation, that's been unsuccessful. Family are just thankful that they've just been quite amazed about the number of people that are fighting for their child. Right. And that is actually reassuring to know yeah. that absolutely everything has been done, mm. as opposed to being behind a closed door and not knowing what's going on. Yes. It's a, it's a sort of it's traumatising on one side, yeah. but reassuring to know that actually everybody has been fighting for their mm. child. Yeah. And how is it for staff having family there? Um, they don't know any different. Yeah, most. Which is yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. We push that really hard, particularly for some of our overseas nurses who might culturally come from an environment where they're not so used to that. Mm. That does take a bit of change for them. Yeah. Um, but most most catch on to it pretty quickly and see the mm. benefits of it as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, Building those relationships. I mean, you're always going to have a few times where you've got a bit of a personality clash, and for whatever reason, a staff member and a family member just don't click. Mm. Um, that's life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we can change that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's really important to build the bonds with parents, caregivers as soon as possible so that they can feel comfortable actually going and having a break. Yes. You know, you've already given up the care of your child to a complete stranger. Um, you feel completely disempowered. So you need to be able to build trust pretty quickly so that they can go and get the rest they need mm. because when that child bounces back. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to need them. Need it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And what about if the arrest happens to a child or, you know, I don't know, not even just an arrest, but there's a situation with a child in the room yeah. and there's other families around as well because obviously yeah. some of the rooms contain four or yep. more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. What do you do then? Do you it's very stay or? Um, it really depends on the circumstance. If it's a procedure, mm you know, that's planned, um, we can pull curtains and have them behind the curtain with their child. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's not so much of an issue as long as it's not um, from a sterility point of view. Mm. Um, If they happen to be in a room and something acute happens, then we will most likely ask them just to step outside and we've got a back corridor that runs down the back of our unit, like a balcony area where they can go and sit. And then we'll make sure that the nurse that's caring for their child will... um, touch base with them yeah. to explain what happened and what was going on and to be able to answer any questions from mm. them. But, mm. you know, we're one of the few intensive cares, I guess, around the world these days that is a four-bedroom yeah, <laughs> as opposed to a single room. Yeah. And I must say, you know, there's criticism over that, obviously from infection control, but we actually don't have any higher infection, as you come mm. to the infection rate, um, and from the confidentiality yeah. perspective. But... I don't know whether it's because it's, again, a child and family focus. They, um, even if they are in single rooms, they club together. Yeah. You know, they're sharing accommodation in Ronald McDonald rooms, Ronald McDonald house. Yeah. They talk to each other. They use each other for support. Yes. Um, And so in actual fact, yeah, they talk amongst groups anyway. Mm. Mm. Yeah. We're not openly going to, you know, get out the loud hailer and share with everyone what's wrong with their child. But if they're choosing to share that with each other. Mm. So in actual fact... um, they often, particularly if they're here for a few days, um, you know, we'll go and see each other and are you okay? And I saw this happen, you know, we yeah. both support each other. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, Because yeah, I guess you're always thinking that that could be you in that situation too. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Some of them, you know, they friend, 
form friendships and bonds that yeah. last beyond their stay in Piku. Mm. That's nice. Mm. Yeah. So you've got a large number of staff. Yeah. Um, culturally, socially, generationally diverse. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> if you're old. I think, yeah. yeah, I was going to say now that we're yeah. some of the older generation, which yes. is a bit scary. How do you, um, you know, get everyone together? How do you make sure that communication channels are open on a daily basis? And then I guess broader, you know, how do you get everyone to socialise yeah. and stay connected? Yeah. Communication is a challenge as you get bigger and bigger. You know, mm. when you're smaller, it's easier to actually touch base with people individually. Mm. Um, and there's always going to be that small number that you could staple it to their forehead and they still wouldn't read it. <laughs> Um, most of our communication is via email, right? But with a balance, try not to spam people because I know mm. what it's like. If I get too many emails, I just don't want to read them. So it is a balance of um, that kind of stuff. We do have so our nurse consultant, whose primary role is quality and safety, um, combined with our nursing practice committee chairperson, send out on a weekly basis what we call tweet of the week. Okay. Um, and it is just a, a quick sentence with a update of something clinically mm-hmm. or quality focused or, you know, remember that this is the guide for high flow nasal prongs or just something quick snapshot. Mm-hmm. And this um, is by email or on this Twitter? Is, this is by email. It's, by, it's, so it's, it's a tweet, tweet on email. email. Yeah. yeah, tweet of the week. <laughs> Um, our educators also do what they call an education tree, mm-hmm. um, and on that tree is links to podcasts or um, a journal article for a focus of the week. Okay. So we do that. We have our hot topic board, so um, that changes every every two to three weeks, which will have a different focus. So we'll run, say, a Back to Basics campaign. Right. And we might focus on um, oral care or eye care or hygiene or... Something else like that focused mm. on basics. And yeah. so staff from within the unit of all levels of practice get involved in some sort of quality thing. So that helps mm. with communicating that. Yeah. Um, on a daily basis, we have a safety briefing at start of shift. So we mm. do 12 hour shifts. So we have a safety briefing at 7 a.m. and at 7 yeah. p.m. It's a really brief rundown of this is how many patients we've got in the unit. This is the sickest. Mm. Um, this is what's happening. Yeah. You know, it might be we've got five going to MRI or we're short-staffed in this room or, you know, mm-hmm. some general safety overview. Yes. And then we'll also focus on any key points that might be on our MOS board as far as what mm-hmm. needs communicating. And that's probably the primary way of communicating because it's the one time you do get all the nursing staff yeah. in the room at the same time. Mm. Yeah. But it's, it's an ongoing challenge. Um, you know, we've looked at, we used to do staff meetings. We've not done them for a long, long time. And, you know, this pros and cons mm. for doing them. When do you do them? Yeah. Um, it, people are always busy with something. Mm. Um, do you do it if you've only got two people? Yeah. Regardless. do you, How do you, yeah. So it does seem that the safety briefings, the email, the use of the notice boards, mm. um, that tends to cover things for those that actually engage in the process. Yeah, yeah. Um, socially, socially it's, 
pretty strong actually <laughs> a lot <laughs> more engaged in that process yeah absolutely the somehow other. they managed yeah. to read those emails <laughs> um so we do have a um closed piku facebook page right okay for current piku patient staff yeah and we have what uh, an open one which is for piku legends as it's okay. called so it's for ex piku nice. staff so yeah. um and we try to keep we keep the closed one for current staff so that should there be a reference to um, a patient so for example if we do have a patient die then mm. often the family will send us the funeral notice and ask staff to oh, attend okay. a funeral so that's a way mm. of advertising yes so it is but to help with confidentiality that's yeah. why we wanted to be current picking patients mm. uh, staff and so then there is some difference there is, between the patients marginal, and the staff but yeah, and yeah sometimes we get tantrums that make you wonder <laughs> um but yeah that's and the medical and staff the, yeah that's true yeah the Legends page is then open to anyone that uses nice. it. So that's a yeah. great way of advertising the social stuff. We try and keep it lighthearted. We try mm. and keep it fun. It's not primarily about work. You do get the odd, you know, can I, someone free to do a shift swap? Shift swap, that's fine. yeah. Um, and um, so that's a way of advertising social mm. activities. We we have two formal social activities per year. So we have a Christmas party and we had a, have a midwinter Christmas nice. party as well. Yeah. And um, that's generally um, subsidised or paid for out of our social club fund. Right. So we have a social club fund through our illegal tuck shop that we run. <laughs> Shouldn't say that, should I? Um, but that helps to helps to fund that. And people yeah. are always keen when we have new registrars start or when registrars finish. Some of the usual put up a notice and say drinks at this place mm. and people go along so people are quite socially yeah. active yeah. and I think when you've got large numbers of staff starting and they tend to start in a cohort together mm. unintentionally but there's usually it means they're forming friendships mm. and you know it's which is a lot easier than if you're starting by yourself yeah yeah and then those social networks tend to spread mm. and we've got some cultural groups in there as well mm. so we took on quite a large number of Filipino nurses um, uh, four or five years ago they've been yeah. fantastic and mm. a lot of them came to New Zealand with no family no support yeah. and they've formed a real tight support network um, together they're great mm. they're, they're a lot of fun I call them our Filipino mafia <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're great they're really supportive of each other yeah. when someone new comes into the fold they'll take them into the fold look after them um, get them set up but equally they're yeah. just as Kiwi as you or I as well yeah. You yeah. Know, it's the best of both worlds I know yep. I know it's yep. great um, would you describe Piku as a friendly place to work? You know, if you were coming in here, yeah. is it an easy place to come into and, you know, kind of feel accepted? And I'm probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> yeah, probably. I would, I would like to think that we were. Yeah. 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 I would like to think that we were. I think um, that we have so many new people all the time that mm. people are used to that. Yeah. And I think it's really important that, no matter what someone's background, somebody's got something to offer. They come with knowledge. They come with experience and skills. And it's important that we acknowledge that. Mm. You know, I don't want us to be a place that goes, well, you know, we do it differently. You've got to start from scratch. Yeah. And so we welcome people coming with new ideas and new mm. ways to do things. Mm. You know, just because it's different doesn't make it wrong. Yeah. yeah. And we don't want to get stuck in that, but that's the way we do it. And we've always done it like that. And that's the Starship way. Yeah. Because that's not right. No, it's yeah. recognising that you can learn mm. from new people, isn't it? Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we do at times, we do see, probably like most areas, um, and I think this is over the years, when people get to that senior level two, beginner level three, and they're getting confident in their practice, I think at times people can forget what it's like to be new mm -hmm. and 
can be a bit harsh on their colleagues sometimes. Um, and they're the very people that actually lack the insight mm. as to where they're at in their progression. But I'd like to think that, yes, we are welcoming and we are supportive because, um, you know, we spend so much of our time at work. You've yeah. got to enjoy what you do. Exactly. You have to yeah. enjoy it and have a bit of sensible fun oh, absolutely. at the same time. Yeah. yeah, you've got to be able to have fun at work. There's yeah. no point in it being a boring, dour place. You've got to be able to have a good laugh and... You should be able to see Nick's desk because we sat here at her desk which is covered in Lego characters and a little story. So she's obviously having a bit of fun here too. Absolutely, that along with my Nerf gun. Yeah, Yeah, along with the Nerf gun. Um, So in terms of people maybe who are at that sort of stage that they need to be challenged and need something else, um, you know, those sort of senior level twos, level threes, um, how do you identify those people and, you know, what they yeah. might need and how do you push them in, into doing something else apart from a wooden spoon um, I think in an environment like an intensive care there are so many opportunities mm. um, everybody eventually finds a little niche of what rocks their boat Yeah, you know, and there's always an opportunity to get involved in that quality side of things mm. you know, um, teaching on a study day um, getting involved in policy protocol development our nursing practice committee there's all sorts of different committees projects even if they're mm. short-term projects for people to get involved in and that then helps us be able to see what their leadership skills are like to be True. able to help support and nurture them you know and you can identify people that you know are going to fly in that area mm. and I think that builds into succession planning yes. you know nobody is irreplaceable we've all seen that you know somebody walks out the door and is irreplaceable as they seem five minutes later someone's filled someone's their spot there. Yeah. absolutely and it's important that we Allow staff the opportunity to gain the skills before mm. a position comes up so you can actually fill a position. Yeah. So I think it's really important that, um, particularly the formal senior nursing positions, that people are mentored in and succession mm. planned into those roles and given the skills to be able to do the job. So whatever's out there from learning and development, whatever opportunities are there, put people through them, mm. support them to do it, give them the, the non-clinical time to be able to do it. Um, sometimes opportunities come up before you're ready yeah but you've actually got to grasp them because you don't know when they're going to come up again so mm-hmm. I think it doesn't matter what your level of practice is there's always an opportunity to be involved some way but it's two-way mm-hmm. while we have to support people and give them the time they've got to show initiative as well yes we're not here to hand it to them on a plate they've got to be able to put their hand up and go well I've got an interest in this what mm-hmm. can I do how mm-hmm. can I do it and then it's our job to help support them to be able to do that mm-hmm. and give them the skills so it's yeah. important as a, as a staff nurse to be yeah. able to maybe recognise opportunities and to actually yeah. have the guts to yeah. put your hand up and, and try something different, um, yeah. whether it's either offered to you or whether you think of it too and Absolutely. suggest it because maybe nobody's thought of it before. Yeah. And there's so, many, there's so many career opportunities now mm. once you get down that track. You know, we've got the clinical charge nurse role, we've got the nurse educator role, we've mm. got the nurse control, consultant quality and safety We've got the nurse specialist for our long-term care patients. Right. We've got um, charge nurse of the patient at risk team. We've got the nurse specialist yeah. of the patient at risk team. Um, we've got the charge nurse of the transport service. Yeah. Um, so there's so many opportunities mm. there for people. Mm. And sometimes it's hard to identify what you want to do and where you want to go. Mm. And it's about sitting down and talking to someone and identifying or shadowing someone for a period of time. Yeah. You know, our PAR nurse specialists um, in particular... 
there's never quite an FTE. So we've got staff nurses from the floor who have identified that as an interest who will backfill and fill in sick leave and annual leave. Right. And it gives them an opportunity to mm. get a little bit of a taste for the job yeah. and decide yes or no. Mm. Because the last thing you want to do is apply for a job, get a job, and then find you don't like it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so a good taster. Absolutely. Our mm. clinical charge nurses, if they're away for more than two weeks then they have to find someone to backfill their role. Mm, so it okay. gives somebody opportunity to get a bit of a taste of the yeah. job, see if they like it or not. Mm. So I think it's really important to get people that can step into roles mm. and learn the process and mm. support them through it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good plan. Yeah. Always good to have a succession plan. Absolutely. It's so when I win lotto, <laughs> I cannot come to work in the morning <laughs> and know that the place will be well looked after. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges of being a nun? Um, it's quite a, it's a lonely job mm. at times. You don't have friends. <laughs> and that sounds, sounds so dreadful. Explain isn't that. Just, well, you don't, you, um, in order to be fair, you, it's, you can't take sides with people. Yeah. You can't, in some ways you can't form friendships. Mm. You have to know where that barrier is. Mm. And, and you can do that, but you need to know that staff are aware that you can tread that professional, personal boundary mm. and that you won't play favourites because that's really important. Mm. Um, you're privy to a lot of information that you can't necessarily share with other people. Mm. Um, and so that at times can be a little bit, Mm. and really hard to um, to keep on board well, not mm. to not share because it's important that you don't share because confidentiality mm. has to be primary but it's a lot of information when you've got 160, 170 staff you know when they're all having a crisis at the same time and some of them are quite significant there's a lot mm. of information to take on board um, So how do you look after yourself around those sorts of issues? Um, It's keeping things in perspective. I guess it makes you thankful for your own life. Yeah. You know, if things are going well at the time. Yeah. Um, there are other nuns. So within mm. Starship, we've got seven nuns. And we are quite a tight-knit group as far as supporting each other. Mm-hmm. But I guess we work within our own silos. So yeah. there's Children's Emergency Department, NICU, um, Hematology, Oncology, Cardiac, and then Medical Surgical right. myself. So you still, it's lonely from the point of view that you can't always share information mm. um, you don't necessarily have friends so when you meet your staff out somewhere you're always introduced as oh this is actually my boss my boss <laughs> you're always somebody's boss you're never somebody's friend yeah I have a fantastic working relationship well I think I've got a fantastic working relationship with my senior nurses here mm. and get on really really well with them um, and for a work related social event we'll get on fine mm. but I'll never be one of them, yeah. Because I'm still always going to be their boss. The boss. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, it can be quite a lonely job. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, when you're having those difficult conversations and when you're having to deal with conflict, the other side is it's good that it does keep you independent and fair. Mm-hmm. And seen as not yeah. bringing bias into yeah. the situation. Yeah, and yeah. Hopefully, yeah. that's what yeah. you. That, well, that's what I aim for. Mm. But I, I guess the challenges are the fact that there is multiple personalities. Mm. And I think the nature of being a predominantly female workforce brings with it a lot of emotion, and probably mm. hormones, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that um, makes it harder sometimes for people to separate personal and professional, mm. as opposed to some of our male colleagues. You see with our medical male colleagues, who are very, a, a lot clearer about 
these are the facts mm. without mm. bringing the emotional in. And mm. that makes it hard. I think um, generational changes are definitely there. Yeah. Um, the expectations of different generations yeah. changes things. Such as? Um, Can we ask? <laughs> <laughs> we certainly, with the um, younger nurses now, there's a lot more staff who don't stay for as long. They would rather work Monday to Friday in a mm. job that they see as less challenging in order to have a lifestyle than work a job that does weekends and nights. Mm. Mm. So we do get a, s- a small number, I guess, yeah. that last one to two years before they want to make the change to a Monday to Friday job. Because yes. we, we have a requirement. It works out around about 50% days, 50% nights. Mm. Mm. Um, and people just don't seem to cope with that as well Mm. Um, again sickness is a balance between coming to work when you're sick when you shouldn't be here Mm. versus being slightly soft (laughs) and having a low threshold for calling in sick and I think there's some people now and it's not necessarily generational anyway but some people who see their sick leave as their right Mm. Rather than it being a privilege, and therefore it's part of my overall leave allocation, so therefore I'm going to take it. Yeah. Without any conscience as to the effect that that has on their colleagues. Mm. Mm. You know, that are doing the extra duties and doing overtime Mm. and having to take extra workload to make up for that. Mm. You know, and it's important you don't come to work when you're sick, but equally, when you're calling at 11 o'clock in the morning with a headache, that's still got time for the Panadol to kick in, you know. Yeah. Tricky. Yeah. Finding balance. It is balance. It's balance with everything. Yeah. 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 Anyone's threshold slightly different. Mm. Um, and it's important to try and get that balance right. Yeah. 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 What would you say that you were most proud of in Paku? Um, I think it is the fact that people really do put the child and family first. Mm. Yeah. When it gets busy out there when it's crazy when things are dire when you're going through a tragedy the child and the family Mm. are always first people's individual differences beliefs whatever get put aside Mm. and the team just pulls together Mm. and that is amazing to see yeah a tight-knit team that support each other and are there for each other Mm. yeah yeah and then how do you debrief after some of those situations Either as a team or, you know, personally? Um, I think it's a combination. I think people do use each other. I think that's the nature of nurses. Mm. Um, I know for myself, like, I don't I don't take work home and that I don't discuss work at home. Mm. Because I don't believe unless you work in an environment, you actually understand mm. it. Um, males being males always want to try and solve the problem without understanding the problem. <laughs> and that actually doesn't help because all you want to do is offload. Yeah. So I think the nature of the environment is that we tend to... Um, nurses tend to debrief with their colleagues and mm. again because people tend to start in large groups together and they get to know each other and they form friendships they use those friendships to debrief yeah. more formally um, we've got a um, ACE review system so after a, a significant event then we'll do a um, brief um, out of the bed space um, debrief mm-hmm. about what's happened um, to understand the system side of things, what actually happened, what decisions were made, what was the outcome. Mm-hmm. And in actual fact, that kind of debrief often helps to um, dissolve some of the emotional turmoil mm. because 
Otherwise, you can go away going, did I do something wrong? Did I not pick something up? What did I miss? What happened? Mm. Um, so if you can understand the system and the pathophys and the decisions that were made by the consultant, then in actual fact, that dissolves a lot of that emotional turmoil that can mm. bubble under the surface for days. Um, we use our consult liaison, so our um, child health psychiatry psychology team a lot. Mm. Um, and they will come if we've got a long-term child or a difficult case or a challenging case, then we'll set up a time and a date and right. allow staff to come in and mm. that will be run by our consult mm. liaison team to act as a bit of a mediation and talk through people's feelings and provide them with um, some a bit of a toolbox on how to, how to manage and deal mm. with it. Um, part of our recruitment process at interview and afterwards we remind all staff about the employee assistance program which offers the ability to have three free sessions to start with and then I'm more than happy to extend if people need extensions Um, because we need to look after each other and if people aren't in the right Mm -hmm. space to be able to come to work then it doesn't benefit us or them no exactly so there's a number of different avenues available and we do look at it from time to time about what do we offer and you know we looked in the past about peer support because Mm -hmm. it's something I've been familiar with in, in the past and it's been a while since we've looked at that, but last time we looked at it, in fact, the feedback was against it, Okay. Um, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows, we've got a different cohort of staff out there now, mm. so if we looked at it again, it may be that you staff do want it. Yeah, yeah, so I guess it's just constantly, it's important to constantly revisit and mm. see what's going to meet needs at the time. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a really good point about, um, you know, not just assuming that because it wasn't required or hasn't worked before, mm that it might not you know make a difference this time around when your staff is constantly changing and Mm. yeah yeah I mean we had a um a long-term patient with us who was with us for almost six years for multiple reasons but they were a very very challenging family um and we had regular timetabled meetings Mm. um that involved consult liaison our general manager the hospital lawyer every member of the MDT and it was an open session for staff to come if they felt the need at the time to talk about what was happening, why it was happening, where we were at, what the next stage was, what the next steps were, Mm. how we can support staff Um, and that went on for a number of those six years to be able to support staff Mm. to come out the other side of it because of the toll it was taking. Yeah, really important. And then there's the social aspect that helps debrief. Yeah. People go out and having fun together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, enjoying the time together with people that understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that sort of pulls us back a little bit from the doom and gloom. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yep, yep. Because um, it's not all doom and gloom. That's no, for sure. No, no, no. Exactly. Yep. And it's, um, remembering and celebrating actually that you know most people come through this place. Absolutely. <laughs> and when do you think, okay. I mean, we have see about twelve hundred patients per year, and we have I guess around average around about 45 deaths right so that's a very small number yeah um, of our total patient population Mm. Um, and that's the good thing about kids kids don't get limited um, by their memories of things or by Mm. what they think it's going to feel like you know adults go oh I don't want to move because that's going to hurt whereas kids just bounce back yeah um and they just want to get up and play yeah and if they're not playing then there's something genuinely wrong yeah absolutely there is something wrong with them you know that you need to intervene versus an adult who it's their memory of it or what they think is going to happen that will actually limit them and that's the great thing about working with kids yeah is that bounce back factor it's amazing isn't it yeah yeah so if you could give any advice to somebody who is looking at coming into the NUM role or, you know, thinking of that as a career aspiration, 
What would it be? What? How could they set themselves up? Um, or what do they need? You need to be enthusiastic. You need to understand your environment. So if you're someone that's coming in from outside the environment, mm. you need to make the effort to take time to spend at the bedside with the staff of every role, the cleaner, the HCA, the ward clerk, yeah. the staff nurse, so you understand the pressures that each person's under. Mm. And do that on a regular basis. Yeah. Don't don't be removed, be approachable. Um have energy, encourage staff, mm. empower staff. Admit when you're wrong. Admit when you've cocked up. Yeah. yeah. You know, people forget when you go into a role, they expect that you have to get it right 100% of time and you know everything. But no matter what role anybody goes into, you're always a beginner at some point. Yeah. Um, and goalposts always shift. Mm. Mm. So just be honest. Yeah. Um, be fair. That's, I think that's one of the most important things mm. is just be fair. Be a leader and not a manager. The managing comes in there, but secondary to it. And and sometimes you're asked to implement things that you don't necessarily agree with, but sometimes it's the way in which you sell it. Yes. You know, and engaging people mm. in the process. I guess you have to sell it to yourself first. You do. You, can you do, absolutely. It. And if you actually really don't believe it's the right thing... Mm -hmm. Be prepared to stand up and fight for it. Yeah. Fight for what you want. I mean, sometimes we get criticised for, oh, you get this and you get that. Well, it's because we fight for it. Mm. It's not my job to fight for somebody else's department. It's my job to yeah. fight for my staff. Yeah. Um, and I'll probably be loyal to a fault to my staff. Um, but who else is going to fight for them? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you need to know at the end of the day that that's what you've done. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think you need to be resilient. You need to refresh yourself mm. and your thinking and be open to that feedback all the time. Um, you need to keep relevant mm. um, and keep renewing yourself. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, not resting yeah. on your laurels. And Absolutely. Constantly think, moving forward. Yeah, any job that you're in for a period of time, it's very easy to kind of relax back and slip into bad habits and mm. not engage the same way and that actually when you're responsible or people are relying on you you can't afford to do that because yeah. that's not fair on them yeah yeah and know when to get out <laughs> or how do you or, know or, that or, help, or hope that somebody <laughs> that you've built such a culture that you're open for that person that comes and says to you you need to get it's out it's time <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah you don't you know I've, I've had role modeling from people in the past from other departments, other places where I've looked and gone, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be remembered for the wrong reasons. Mm, mm -hmm. I want to know when to get out at the right time. Yeah, yeah. And that's hard, yeah. isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But I guess, too, it's also you looking for opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'll keep buying that lotto ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, big job, big department. Yep. A lot of... Um, I'd say issues, but it's not really the yeah. right word. But a lot, you know, it's a very complex day. How do you switch off when you walk out the door at the end of the day? How do you switch off and make that transition so you don't take stuff home? Mm. I'm probably not the best at that, to be honest. Um, it's probably the control freak in me. Um, I admit I do, when I go home in the evening, I do check my emails. 
um, I do want to be available to staff. So yeah. I've always said you can phone me day or night because I don't want anyone to ever be um, hesitant about calling or too mm. scared to call when they don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, and I think if people appreciate that, then you're not going to get a call and you've actually empowered your staff to actually make decisions and not micromanage, then they're going to actually be able to make those decisions. So you know that when the phone does go, that it is actually something important. Something important, yeah. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I'm not so good on the email side of things. I don't like surprises the next day. I like to know what's going on. <laughs> it's nosiness too, probably. Um, but it's actually having trust in your staff. Yeah. It's trusting yeah. that actually you know that you could be away for a week and nothing's going to change, mm. that they can do the job, that they've been supported and educated and trained to be able to do it yeah. and that you trust them to make those decisions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I think you just have to have to be able to trust and walk away Yeah, yeah and know that the place is in good hands mm. Yeah. Mm. and that if it is all turning to shit, they will call you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, if, if you do get a call from anyone, it's not necessarily that you're actually going to make any decisions. It's just somebody is just bouncing an idea off of you. Because exactly. in actual fact, they've solved the problem themselves. Yeah. They just want somebody else to listen to it mm. and somebody else to probably be accountable for it. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, like you say, it's that bit of reassurance, yeah. isn't it, that you have yeah. actually let the boss know yeah, absolutely. and the boss has agreed absolutely. with what you said. So, yeah. yeah. I guess in the back of my mind, I always do feel a sense of accountability mm. at the end of the day. And I don't know whether that is just me, to be honest, or whether that is a numb thing across the board and all numbs feel like that. But you do feel like um, you have responsibility to the staff. Mm. You have responsibility that they're safe as far as interactions with family, as far as being able to cope, as far as being um, provided with the right skills to care for the patients, Mm. um, the right resources. So you do feel that constant sense of accountability there Mm. in the back of your mind. Yeah. 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 So how do you look after yourself then? outside um, of work to well, make sure you're the best person I've, here yeah I've got better over the years when I first went from shift work to Monday to Friday I struggled with the lack of sleep and I still do to be honest I get far less sleep Monday to Friday yeah. than I ever did with shift work um, and it's very easy to get into that habit of oh the days are long because you never do an 8 hour day yeah. always longer so for me um, I have turned into a gym bunny <laughs> I can't function without my exercise in the morning so I get up at 5 I go to the gym and then I come straight from the gym to work. Yeah. And I shower and have breakfast at work because Hopefully I want to Hopefully haven't remembered to bring all your clothes with you. Yeah, there's been the odd yeah. failure there. Um, but I, I like the fact, well, A, it beats traffic and you get parking. But I think more importantly, um, it means the night shift can see you mm. um, before they go off shift if they need to see you. Yeah. Um, which for me is important. Um, but I it sets me up for the day. Mm. The exercising sets me up in the right mental space yes. for the day. Yeah. yeah. And the days where I can't, which are very few and far between, I'm just not quite firing the same. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's important. And, you know, having a supportive family. Yeah. Um, or while I don't talk work per se with my husband, you know, he's always available there to give mm. advice. Yeah. Unsolicited. <laughs> um, and, yeah, doing other activities outside. Yeah. Outside of work. Travelling. Travelling, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, predominantly, my activity outside of work is actually working with St John Ambulance, so it's mm. kind of related. Yeah. I'm not sure it's downtime, but that's, for me, is what I do. So Yeah. yeah. And what do you do in yeah. that role? Just diverging a little bit. Tell us about some of the exciting yeah. things. Uh, I've got lots of fingers and lots of pies there. Um, I was born into it, so there's been no escape. So um, I work with a group of volunteers um, 
from first responders through to paramedics. Um, I'm one of the team leaders for the local Epsom volunteer group, so working doing that, working at the major events. Mm. Um, I team lead the medical and nursing team for St John in the northern region, involved with the motorsport team, with youth, a couple of significant governance committees, a few bits and pieces, so enough yeah. to stop me from being Quite bored. an important role, yeah. actually, yeah. but... Yeah. Yeah. Stop, stop <laughs> me from getting bored anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's good because where I can't necessarily always keep up my clinical practice here, that helps to allow me to keep mm. up my clinical practice in a different environment. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I do get told off, though, if I go and do an ambulance shift on the road and recruit for our department here, yeah. which has happened a few times. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to take your patients home, but you yeah. don't bring no, them back exactly. to work. Yeah, you kind of phone the consultant on and give them a heads up about, sorry, but we're sending you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's not a good reputation yeah, to get, no, really. So much, yeah. 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 Very good. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about? I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a wide, um, a wide variety. I just, yeah, I think for me, intensive care is where I've always wanted to be. Mm. It's a fantastic place. It's got great career opportunities, great environment, mm. great team. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Can't, can't think of anywhere else I'd be. <laughs> no, well, I think it's really nice that, you know, having set foot into this environment uh, a few years ago now, yep. <laughs> and around the time that we first met, so mm. that's quite a few years mm. ago, um, that you still enjoy working on it, and mm. that's your passion. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, yep. so well done you, and... Um, Carry on the wonderful work mm. that you all do down here in the little people's world. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Us people. adult nurses are just so totally fascinated by the whole thing and overawed by it and overwhelmed. And, oh, look, yeah. I think our paediatric nurses, particularly our child-only our child nurses from the UK, are terrified by adults. Yeah. <laughs> they forget the fact that we get 120 kilo 10-year-olds mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and that you know our adult patients can go up to 18 or 19, so they are adults. Yeah, yeah. Um, but exactly. the thought of it terrifies them as well. So. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's bizarre, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah. But there we yeah. go. Oh, thanks, Nick. And Thank it's you. it's been great talking. I hope you enjoyed that. I've known Nick for a very long time since her new graduate days and have always been impressed by her amazing ability to harness the energy of people around her and her insistence of an incredibly high level of care for patients, family and staff. Also by her commitment to volunteer service through St John's, exemplified just this weekend when she was riding in the Lake Taupo Cycle Challenge and stopped to assist in an accident along the way. Her thoughts around empowering staff to be the best they can be, role modelling excellence, and being clinically credible, and being fair in decision making all ring so true, don't they? And show just what sort of a leader Nick is. Thanks for listening, I'm so glad you could join us. If this is your first time listening, then welcome, and thanks for coming. And if you're a returning listener, then thank you for coming back. I hope you are enjoying the experience. If you have any feedback or suggestions, I would love to hear them. What did you enjoy and who would you like to hear from? Would you like to make a guest appearance? Please contact me by email. And until next time, I hope this proves to be critical to your success.